This is BSA by Design, a podcast about transforming healthcare, educational, and research facilities through expert design and insight. I'm your host, Brian Moore. Thanks again for joining us. This episode is the last of our mini-series diving into BSA Life Structure's three primary practices and our focus in these markets. In this episode, we're going to be talking to Derek West, a principal at BSA Life Structures, about what is discovery. Derek West has been with BSA for the past three years in the role of principal, where his primary market is discovery. Prior to joining BSA, he was a principal with the Lord Eck Sargent and a designer for KSS. Derek received his undergraduate degree in architecture, engineering technology from the University of Memphis and his master's in architecture from the University of Virginia. Welcome to BSA by Design, Derek. Hi, Brian. Nice to be here. Uh, So let's start with where does your passion for architecture come from? Ever since I can remember, I've been fascinated with how things are made and the experience of place. You, You really can't talk about architecture and not acknowledge those two things. But I would say my passion for what we do is really more based in helping a client or a user group realize their dream or fulfill an important need that they have. And how about some of your background before you got to BSA? I'd say it's been a a journey of shifting focuses over the last 30 years or so, and they've all come together to really suit the kind of work I do now. My interest in design and construction took root when I was working construction my first year out of high school. I remember being on a, a construction site one day, laying out a foundation for a new building where we were transferring these lines from, you know, a piece of paper from a drawing set onto the landscape and, and, and imagining this new structure. It was there, I'd say, that I became really interested, not just in, you know, building a structure, but how is it conceived? How is it described, you know, so that someone else can build it? After that, I pursued and received a bachelor's degree in architectural engineering technology. That's a mouthful. This was a very technical program, though, where we learned how to do basic engineering and solve, you know, building design problems. For example, we learned to size steel columns, steel beams. We learned the basics about concrete design and even got into, you know, how do shapes affect structure and rebar and things like that. But what was really cool about this program was that it was led by two architects who were very, very passionate about design. And I'm talking like design with a capital D, as we might like to say. They were instrumental in my development and, and you know, really fueled a, a lifelong passion for me in design. So there was this, you know, it, this technical program, this design focus, and there was this constant back and forth between those two. And you could say, you know, this was like a maybe a, a balance between the philosophical and ephemeral and the practical. The, what was neat, though, is these focuses, they really weren't intention in this program. They taught us that both of these things or both sides of this were critical for a successful project. After undergrad, I went on to graduate school and got a master's in architecture, and it was very different. It was very much focused on design, and I was I was fortunate to be able to really dive deep into the art and architectural theory and, and learn to develop projects that were much more sort of idea-driven. In addition, one thing that was really great about uh, the University of Virginia School of Architecture is that students in the landscape architecture program and the architecture program worked together. There was collaboration that happened in in school. And so, you know, we, we learned early on that it's not just my design. It's not just about 
you know, me. And this made for, you know, a perfect educational sequence, I would say, where there was initially this focus on an emphasis on technology and knowledge to a passion for ideas and how they can inform design. And then ultimately, you know, working with other people to create something better than, you know, I might create by myself. And then for the last 22 years, since I've been working, I've been blessed to work on projects that were significant, that were important, that were hard. And they really have continued to allow me to develop and enjoy both the technical aspects of planning these facilities and constructing a building and, you know, designing for, you know, people and for experience. I love hearing where people's heart and passion is and where it's come from and how it, how it's evolved over time and, and what some of that backstory is. So thank you for sharing that. Let's talk, let's talk about the thing that you came on to talk about, which is the discovery practice here at BSA. What does the discovery practice mean at BSA and its role in healthcare, higher education and research? So BSA focuses on three practice areas and we call them healing, learning and discovery. We very intentionally centered our efforts and our expertise in these three practice areas because we believe these are the best fields for us to pursue our mission. And our mission is to create inspired solutions that improve lives. I'm a discovery principal, and therefore I'm a leader in the science and technology space. Um, our discovery practice of the three practice areas is the youngest, it's the smallest, but it's growing fast. And I think there's a, a couple key reasons for that. One, it's it's because of you know, today, the importance of scientific discovery, of scientific research in, you know, developing and solving health and environmental and technological problems, there's a, there's a great need for that out there. And so it's bursting at the seams. But we also have a really awesome group of professionals that are passionate about helping our clients do their critical and groundbreaking work. You know, we create the spaces in which they do it. So let's talk about, and can you share some of the role and importance of architecture in creating inspiring and functional discovery environments? Sure. This this really kind of, for me, takes me back to my journey that I described a few minutes ago. The question gets right to the core of, of what I would say is our, our the baseline of our goals for a science and technology project, which is to create a space that's as amazing as it can be, that people really want to be in, that promotes collaboration and creativity, but it has to work. It has to function. So it's it's critical that the facility performs in a certain way. And I use that word facility very intentionally because it's, you know, the, the poetic architect in me might want to just focus on beauty and space and how it feels. But it's also very much about the engineering and ensuring that all of the systems that drive ventilation and temperature and lighting and plumbing data that they support what the users of the space are going to be doing, you know, how well these things are all in sync really has an impact on safety and productivity, the eff efficacy of the work that's happening in there, um, and the quality of the experience inside them. So we see the experiential side and the functional side as both critical pieces in making you know, sustainable architecture. And, and I use the word sustainable in the broadest sense. What are some of the unique challenges and opportunities that arise in designing labs and research spaces within these settings? Well, one thing I really love about our discovery practice is that our science and technology projects are almost equally as likely to be in a healthcare setting, a university building, or 
more on, on the corporate or private side in a pharmaceutical setting, contract research, diagnostic technology development, things like that. So, you know, one of the things we pride is that we're learners. And as learners, then we're constantly being challenged to understand and support the design of a wide variety of environments, each of which have specific and unique requirements. So what does that mean? That means we need to be adept in communicating with and understanding healthcare professionals, academics, and, you know, getting at, getting that drivers like speed to market are really important. One opportunity in all of this is that I really treasure that in the discovery practice, we get to collaborate with all of our colleagues across all of our disciplines at VSA. Yeah, there's a, there's definitely a ton of overlap between the three practices then. It, so I would imagine then you've got to have some flexibility. So maybe tell us a little bit about the flexibility and technology integration and collaborative features of architecture and design. What are some of the key things that clients are looking for in this discovery space? Well, one thing that we can be sure of in designing science spaces is that the way they're used today is going to be different tomorrow. So we talk a lot about future proofing a facility so that they, you know, that uh, designing and constructing a facility that, that can accommodate changes in research themes, changes in research methods over time. Uh, I'll give you an example. There's thousands of buildings in this country that were designed for science in the 60s and 70s. And most of these are in dire need now of updating and upgrading. Part of that need is simply dealing with systems that are at the end of their useful life. But another big part of that need is that research is different today than it was 40 or 50 years ago. So we're going in, we're taking out plumbed systems that were distributed throughout the building, natural gas, water, vacuum, you know, specialty gases, things like that. We're still putting those back in, but they're in much fewer and much more targeted locations. On the flip side, we're doubling, tripling, or even more the amount of power and data that we're putting in this in these buildings because that's the tool, that's the, the utility that discovery is being made nowadays. The key to future proofing a facility is providing capacity for growth, smart and efficient distribution of services for making changes in the future, and where possible, open and modular spaces that can, you know, plug and play for decades to come. That's fascinating too, especially about the shift for the data. And you had mentioned earlier sustainability in the broadest sense. So how, how about we talk a little bit about sustainability? How is sustainability and green building practices integrated into the design and construction of discovery spaces. For us, sustainability is woven into the experiential and practical design solutions throughout. So from the beginning of the project, when we have a visioning session, we're going to talk about sustainability and we're going to focus, you know, that's going to be, you know, a, a key thing that we consider in decision-making um, all the way through getting a building to operation. Many times these goals are measurable and the outcomes are literally metered and documented. But it's important to remember that sustainability is also about improving the lives of the people that live and work in these facilities. A little light goes a long way. To me, more specific, this is one area that technology development is rapidly advancing what we can do with building systems. Now, more than ever, we have the ability to reduce energy consumption while maintaining important safety aspects of building performance. Those things that might be, or the things we might be conserving are water, maintaining ventilation, ensuring pressurization, controlling airflow from space to space or containing spaces. 
our buildings are becoming smarter and smarter. And the big gains and the marginal gains all add up, or in the case of sustainability, subtract to less energy and water consumption. Yeah, a lot of efficiencies created there for sure. Let's let's shift a little bit and talk about the end user experience. How does the architecture and design of these buildings enhance the overall end user experience? And can you tell us a little bit about the importance of creating spaces for discovery? Well, most research spaces that we might be renovating these days in the 60s or 70s have few or no win- windows. You couple that with the fact that many people who are doing this work are very focused, they're heads down, they're, you're often doing solo tasks, and so there's a lot left to that experience, you know, a lot left to be desired um, for that experience. So, you know, it kind of seems obvious to say this, um, but we know so much more now, or at least we value more now, how the quality of space affects well-being and productivity of the occupants. If spaces, you know, simple things like if spaces offer views to the outside and welcome natural daylight inside while also providing, you know, environments for people to interact and collaborate, um, not only are people going to be happier and healthier, but they're encouraged to be together and to communicate. And this, this feeds right into, you know, trends and changes in science and technology. You know, most of the discoveries that are happening today they're really in the in-between spaces among the scientific disciplines. So, you know, by definition, interdisciplinary research means working together. This is often where our conversations begin with our clients. It, it's interesting uh, that you mentioned the the natural light. It, it, it seems like this has been a, a thing over the last, you know, however many years. And yeah, I'm happy when I have natural light around me too, right? And I think of our, I think of our Raleigh studio where you're at. I think of the Austin studio that I just visited recently and just the overhaul that we've done with the design of those spaces. It, it makes people more engaged and communicative and um, happier for sure. So that's really interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Let's pivot to look at the future a little bit. What what trends or innovations do you foresee in architecture and design that will continue to shape the discovery practice? This may be, not be exactly an answer to the question you're asking, but for me, I would say what's really exciting about the future of science and technology and architecture is that it's expansive, it's exploratory, and it's inspiring. You know, as, as new treatments for disease are developed in all three of our practice areas, healing, learning, and discovery, The inertia that is behind progress and improvement increases, and we're there. We get to be part of that. As discoveries are made by bringing neuroscientists and programmers and chemists together, problems are solved, and we're a small part of that. You know, while, while we may be inclined to predict what's next, to me, the most inspiring thing is, you know, what are these amazing minds going to unlock? What are they going to discover, and how can we help? got me energized and I don't even do any of this stuff. So, well, I want to thank you for coming on. I I already thought of while we were having this discussion about 10 other topics that I'd like to dive into with in in some future episodes. But I think for the purposes of giving our audience here a look at the discovery practice, you've done a great job. So thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Brian. Thanks to Derek for joining us on this episode of BSA by Design. We hope you've enjoyed this mini-series and a look at BSA's three primary markets of healing, learning, and discovery. If you're interested in learning more about BSA Life Structures, we encourage you to visit our website at bsalifestructures.com. There's a link in the show notes to contact us for more information. 
Be sure to subscribe to BSA by Design wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And we've got more content and stories to share. So check us out on social media platforms like LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and X. That's going to do it for this episode. Join us again next time on BSA by Design. Bye.